Hello and welcome. You're listening to Connected and Ready, an ongoing conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed, brought to you by Microsoft. I'm Gemma Milne. I'm a technology journalist and author, and I'm going to be exploring trends around how companies are adapting to a disrupted world and preparing for tomorrow. We're going to speak to the innovators who are bringing products, operations and people together in new ways. On today's episode, I'm being joined by two guests to talk about the future of finance and the role of the CFO. Miles Corson is the Global and America Strategy and Markets Leader of Financial Accounting Advisory Services at Ernst & Young, and Tony Klimas is the Global Performance Improvement Finance Leader, also at Ernst & Young. We talk about how the role of the CFO has shifted over the last few years and, of course, the recent months, how CFOs are balancing the demands of short-term growth with long-term value, and how technology is enabling enterprise-wide efficiencies alongside the increasing need to focus on people, skills, and a more culture-centric mindset. Miles, Tony, thank you so much for coming and joining us on the show. I wonder if you guys could start by telling me a little bit about your roles and what you've been working on of late. We're going to start with you, Miles. Thanks, Gemma. Great to be here and uh, thanks for the opportunity to talk to you. So yeah, within EY, I have a leadership role and obviously spend time serving clients. But beyond that, I work closely with Tony on our DNA of the CFO research and also host our Better Finance podcast. Brilliant. And Tony? Yeah, thanks, Gemma. It's great to be here as well. And so I'm a finance partner with NEY within our consulting practice. Most recently, I was leading our finance consulting practice globally, and I recently came out of that role, and now I'm involved with some of our big global accounts. And uh, as Miles said, he and I uh, have coordinated the development of our DNA study over the last several months. Um, We went out and talked to 800-plus finance executives around the world, a very good cross-section of industry as well, and we're really excited to have a chance to share that with you today. Yeah, I'm excited to to hear some of these findings, particularly considering the last year that we've had, of course, 2020 being what it has been. But before we get into that, I want to zoom out a little bit and talk about the role of the CFO, because this is obviously sort of the core thing we're going to be focusing on today. And, and I think we need to start pre-pandemic to some degree thinking about some of these shifts. So how has the role of the CFO within an organisation been shifting? What's preempted the shift that we've been seeing over the past year, couple of years? And, and how has it accelerated over that time? Tony, we're going to go to you. Yeah, I mean, it is worth, I think, going back in the pre-pandemic times because we've already had significant changes happening to the way CFOs were functioning and operating within the organisation, right? And we had a couple of trends that were already starting. One is we saw a larger number of CFOs, somewhere in the range of 60%, right, coming from other outside the organization, right, when they were hired, right? So outsider CFOs who were basically brought in to bring a fresh perspective, I think very important as companies have grappled with all of the changes caused by this digital age that we're now in. Um, The other trend I think that was very prevalent and has accelerated is the value of having significant business experience outside of finance and accounting. So roughly Two-thirds to even 75% of the CFOs um, have had spent significant time uh, in HR, in operations, in marketing, in other parts of the business as they come up through the ranks, right? So these are very well-rounded individuals with a broad business perspective, and they're placed into a very challenging role because the other trend that was already emerging was the tenure of CFOs was uh, decreasing. It's a very challenging position, and dealing with all the changes that we're all dealing with today has been tough. And then, of course, all of that has been accelerated um, over the last six months. Yeah, Miles, I want to come to you and build a little bit on, I guess, some of these trends around skills, this idea of being an outsider. 
what specifically is that bringing in terms of skills or insight? And when we're talking about having experience in other departments, of course, we can talk about this idea of just having a more general understanding of business. But what is it that these different kind of skills beyond finance are really bringing to the role? Yeah, sure, Jim. And I think it's really about that diversity of, of skill set now that the role requires. And, you know, we've been doing the, the research now for over 10 years. You know, we first ran it back in 2008, 2009. So we, we actually have a pretty interesting data set of how the, the role has changed. And clearly, one of the common themes has been the need to be increasingly strategic. And what, what does that actually mean? Right, so previously, CFOs played a role sort of funding and financing strategy. But increasingly, what we've seen is they're now playing a role uh, setting strategy and have a seat at the table. And again, I think to your point around diversity of skill set, you know, the ability to connect these diverse experiences and you know, join the dots across the organization is really appreciated and valued by senior leadership. And as you look now, and you know, specifically in terms of what has really accelerated the change, I mean, what's been interesting with the survey this year is I think there are three key themes that really come through in terms of disruption. It's technology and the ever-accelerating pace of, of change of technology. It's the increasing pressure on sort of business model disruption and, and so other sources of, of competition. And then you know, clearly this evolving trend around long-term value and how organizations are being expected by investors and a broader stakeholder community to, to communicate a much broader talk track around how they create value, the impact they have more broadly, both financially and, and non-financially. I'm going to build on these specific themes a little bit later on because um, you bring up a lot of interesting questions there. But sticking with you, Miles, what do these, I guess, shifts, these trends, what does that mean in terms of, I guess, barriers to successful transformation? And what is it the CFOs are doing to overcome these challenges? Is it just that they, they have this more diverse outlook and they're able to just be more resilient to change? Or is it something more um, when we talk about overcoming the challenges of recent times? Yeah, great question, Gemma. And I think resilience is is absolutely a key attribute. And I think the other attribute I'd really point to is agility. And again, the pace of change, the disruption, particularly what we've seen this year, I think, you know, once the dust hopefully starts to settle and we look back, I think the organisations that have been able to, to really demonstrate that agility, the ability for senior leadership to come together, respond to the challenges, look at, you know, how the business drivers have had to change and how they look at the business, the speed with which cycles evolve is going to be really important. And to do that effectively, the soft skills, the communication, the collaboration, I think is going to be a clear differentiator. And you know, this business partnering ambition that all finance organisations have to actually drive faster and better real-time decision support, I think is going to be an attribute that is, is very highly valued going forward. So obviously, agility and resilience has been a theme that we've been exploring on this podcast ever since it started. And everyone we've been speaking to, of course, has been reflecting on on the experience of 2020. So Tony, let's go back a little bit to some of the, the themes and data and insights that you're able to gather from the report that you did earlier on this year. Um, what are the changes that you've been seeing? What are the demands that CFOs have been facing today that perhaps didn't even cross their radar six months ago and what is it that is equipping them to handle these changing demands yeah and, and i think it's actually um and it is a point worth mentioning right that we did do this study in fact during the pandemic sort of earlier this year at first we were a little concerned about that but in retrospect we're actually quite happy with that because had we done this 
you know, in the latter half of uh, last year, it would be a study of ancient history in some ways, right? Because the world has changed so dramatically and so much over the last uh, six months. But, uh, you know, I, I think uh, piling on some of the things that Miles just mentioned, I mean, you know, the collaboration aspect of the role has become increasingly critical. And we saw some interesting trends from the study with two thirds and even up to uh, three quarters of the CFOs reporting that they have good collaboration with operations and IT. But the part that we thought was interesting on the HR and customer marketing side of the business, only about half felt that they had a good connection into the marketing organization and less than half, 42% reported a strong partnership with HR. And we found that fascinating given how important it is, especially as we become customer focused and worry about the impact on our people. Um, there's still some work to be done, I think, for CFOs, especially in the, in the marketing and in the HR world. I think in general, the pandemic created two, um, well, actually three problems, one of which was very tactical, and that was cash, right? Early on was the ability to, to generate cash and, and, and find cash and keep the cash flowing. But on a, on a broader scale, right, as they moved to the working remotely and working from home, we learned a lot about business continuity, and this is the whole resilience topic, right? And we had some CFOs that were very well prepared and did that, you know, without missing a beat, and others, I think, that were very much caught off guard. And then the most interesting, I think, and this has driven a lot of change in a bunch of different ways, is the um, increased importance of unlocking the value of data and driving insights. I talked to several CFOs early on who were completely caught off guard and almost embarrassed that they could not reforecast in a fashion that was asked for by the board and by the CEO, right? They were just too slow. All the models and scenarios they had built were not really capable of such a dramatic change to business operations. And so a lot of effort now going into that whole forecasting process. And of course, things like the cloud are playing a very important role in that as people think about some of the technologies involved. Microsoft Dynamics 365 Finance helps organizations monitor the performance of global financial operations in real time, predict future outcomes, and make data-driven decisions to drive growth. It empowers users to do business anywhere, anytime with an intuitive user interface personalized for their role and preferences. Request a live demo today by following the link in the episode description. Before we kind of go into a bit more depth around these technologies, I wonder from both of you, actually, obviously you, you did this study earlier on, but there's been lots of different cycles or peaks and troughs already. We had this initial sort of rush to just survive and fight the fires that came up originally. And now again, we're having new peaks, perhaps even further into the distance ideas around change of work, not just because of the pandemic, but also because culturally people have started to shift um, in terms of acceptance of technology or acceptance of remote working. So I guess from an anecdote perspective, what's the kind of temperature right now? What would you say CFOs are thinking about or feeling in terms of what the last six months has meant in terms of, I guess, their role? Yeah, no, Jim, I think it's a great point, right? And, and Tony sort of alluded to it a little bit in, in his comments, that in that initial aftermath of the pandemic hitting, I think that the focus was on, can we close the books? Can we pivot to being a virtual organization, right? And again, finance organizations have not necessarily, you know, embraced some of those virtual technologies previously. It was very um, much a, a sort of traditional model of having people in the office working together. So I think once they got over that initial 
actually, yeah, this is fine. And I think some of the concerns around where filing deadlines going to need to be extended didn't materialise. And once people got through that, then I think it became a question of actually, what are the opportunities to accelerate some of the the things that probably were on the horizon and, and were on the, the longer term plan and actually take advantage of this kind of you know, wave of, of change and the momentum that had been established. So I think what you're seeing is a, a real acceleration of some of those those transformational activities, you know, the shift to embracing a more digital way of working, um, you know, because people have actually taken the opportunity not to let a good crisis go to waste. It's quite fascinating, right? And very anecdotally, I mean, I spend more time now responding to chats in Teams than I do in Outlook on email, right? And and we, you know, we were using Teams before this pandemic at EY, uh, but now it's completely become part of the fabric of how we operate with our clients, with each other. And we're literally living on that platform and working on it. So, you know, that's just one example of how technology that we sort of had has now become critically important and accelerated in its adoption. Uh, but to me, for CFOs, the big one is the cloud. And CFOs were always the biggest skeptics. 18 months ago, I, I remember being in New York City doing an event with a bunch of uh, banking and insurance executives, and several of them pulled me aside and told me that they'll never go on the cloud. Their business is too important. You know, the security risks are too significant, and we'll just never do that. And in reality now, people are thinking much differently about the cloud. You know, there was a study I saw recently where they interviewed information security professionals, and two-thirds of them have now stated that in that study that your data is actually more secure from a professional cloud provider, right, something like the Azure platform, than it is if you keep it on-prem, right? Because if you think about all the, the ways you can go after the data. So I think the, the view of the cloud and then the digital technologies, um, you know, one of those FP&A examples I gave, you know, they turned to Power BI and Power Apps, right, to fix their FP&A problems in the short term. And they'll eventually make that sort of something they'll industrialize. So the whole attitude around the cloud has changed dramatically during the last six months. And it's actually, it's quite exciting because when we come out of this, I think people now understand what they didn't understand before or weren't willing to understand, they were sort of forced into it. Mm. Yeah, I think um, that is the key point. The pandemic, in some sense, has removed this like veil of disbelief that some people have had around various different kinds of technologies because of that forcing of usage and then going, oh, actually, it's, it's not really what I expected. But Miles, I want to dive a little bit deeper into this idea of competitive advantage, the adoption of new technologies or new ways of doing things really can enable within that finance and function. You know, we've mentioned data, we've mentioned forecasting, we've mentioned cloud, and, and you said yourself one of the key themes have been of these shifts has been, I guess, the shift in speed of development of technology. So talk us through a little bit around what does it mean to be competitively advantageous in the use of technology as CFOs? Yeah, I mean, what I'd maybe talk about, Gemma, is the, the this idea of, of long-term value and actually your competitive advantage more broadly with the peers out in the market. Because as I mentioned, Investors are very focused now on long-term value, sustainability. You're hearing a lot from the investor community that they're looking differently at the, the valuation models. And I think finance and CFOs has a really unique role to play, helping to bridge the expectation of, of investors, but also the broader stakeholder community. 
as to you know, what it, and you know, analysts in, in terms of what, what is it that's driving those business models, uh, as I mentioned, both from a financial and a non-financial perspective. So understanding what needs to be communicated externally and then translating that into a set of metrics and performance indicators internally and helping the business to really drive a culture of, of performance, of tracking those things that really matter strategically and will help with the outperformance of the organisation. Again, we have some frameworks that we think you know about how organizations can think in a structured way around that long-term value creation and it, it brings in areas like how do you create consumer and customer value you know how do you sort of create long-term brand differentiation and market share how that you know translates into long-term sales clearly the human and the talent dimension is key it's a very intangible one so one that perhaps finance struggles to uh, to put a value on sometimes but you know where organizations really need to be investing in their people how are you measuring that investment how are you you know looking at the the return on the investment that's being made um, clearly, the societal and, and environmental impacts, you know, we're all very aware of, of some of the pressure around that, you know, both from an environmental, social and governance perspective, you know, very much front of mind. You see in the US over 180 CEOs last year signed, uh, you know, the, the stakeholder capitalism letter with the business roundtable and, and what's been interesting is you know that was obviously signed pre-pandemic but a lot of those companies have really sort of stuck true to the long-term value principles that were espoused even in the, the aftermath of the pandemic and I know CFOs have really had to kind of wrestle with how do you balance this long-term value sustainability-led focus with the pressures of short-term performance that aren't going away so, so that's been a challenge but but ultimately I think one of the key things you know, as you start to look at it within the organization is this need for really effective cross-functional collaboration and particularly again as the the, the metrics broaden out the need to be engaging with marketing and sales functions with supply chain put all the pieces of the demand side and the supply side together and really help the organization to tell that story. So we spoke about the importance of being able to measure investments, particularly when we're talking about new or innovative approaches to things. When we're thinking about sort of less traditional investments or less traditional forms and measures of ROI, I'm thinking, for instance, investing in people or in skills. Do the metrics need to change from before? Do we need to rethink how we measure new innovative approaches to things? Yeah, absolutely, Gemma. And this is a big area of focus for all of our clients right now. As I mentioned, you know, this, this whole focus on long-term value, how do you communicate what it is you're doing in a, in a different way and start to make it as tangible as possible? And you're taking the talent example. A lot of organisations have been putting out statistics on things like diversity and inclusiveness, um, historically, which is important, right? It's, a, it's an important measure of broader societal impact. But I think where you can then take that sort of input measure and start to talk about, well, actually, what does it mean in terms of business performance? And obviously, the, the whole benefit of diversity is you increase innovation. So how is that different perspectives, bringing perspectives from different parts of society, allowing you to open up new markets? And actually, you know, how is that impacting product development and, and sort of the innovation? cycle, the more you can start to make those connections and put some metrics around it, I think the more that the market is going to respond positively. So that that would just be one example. But I think that this is very much an emerging area. I think a lot of organisations are now wrestling with what, what is it they need to be doing to put some quantification around this. I want to build a little bit on what you said there, Miles, and also something you, you alluded to as well, Tony, when you were talking about, for instance, uh, cloud and, and sort of fears around security. This 
this balance of really wanting to think about long-term value, but of course, being in a CFO position, um, short-term, uh, I guess, profit or progress or performance is obviously going to be massively front of mind. And when we think about the sheer pace of change of technology, it can probably be quite difficult to know what to do right now if you're thinking long-term, considering the fact that technology changes so quickly anyway. So Tony, I wonder if you could comment a little bit about the risks that might stand out and how you sort of determine the best path forward in this kind of CFO position when you're making decisions around what is it we're going to invest in for these long-term value ideas. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting, right? Because pretty much every CFO out there, 82%, you know, agreed with the statement around long-term value being important and that they are stewards of long-term value. But almost an equal number, 78%, talked about the short-term pressures that they face, right? So this this is very real. It's something that people are experiencing. And I think part of the way they're responding is if they can't get their their house in order for the short-term stuff, it's going to be very difficult and challenging, right, to get to the uh, the ways we measure and the way we, we account for this long-term value. And, you know, right off the bat, I think there's some blocking and tackling that has to occur. But beyond that, then, um, when we talk to CFOs and ask them about what stands in their way of long-term value, right, we actually see something very interesting here. This is one of the places in our study where we saw some distinct generational differences with sort of the, the boomer and Gen X CFOs still being very focused on regulatory risk and that being a barrier and trying to sort of navigate through some of those challenges, whereas the millennial CFOs, and I suppose we could even have some Gen Y um, CFOs, right? The people born after 98, although mostly I think it's millennials, but they they very much view cybersecurity and information risk as sort of one of the key barriers to accounting for long-term value and, and building long-term value. We don't know why that is. We're going to actually explore that, I think, and go further. So more to follow on why there's a generational difference there. But I think in any case, uh, I think CFOs in general understand that there are some significant barriers. There's a whole kind of new way of thinking about data and and non-financial data, especially that we have to figure out. There are new emerging standards. So EY is actually involved in developing some of these emerging standards about how we actually account and value long-term value. You know, Miles mentioned some of the activities with uh, business roundtables and other groups that are studying this. So this is an important trend. If uh, you're hearing for long-term value the first time on this podcast, you should go off and study it because there's a lot going on here and there's going to be some real challenges and at the same time, got to keep the cash going, got to keep the books closed, you know, got to keep the business running. And so uh, it's a real uh, it's a real challenge, I think. For sure. Let's actually move on a little bit with that idea of keeping the business running. And particularly over the last six months, there's obviously been a lot of discussion around efficiencies and effectiveness and making sure that you're not losing money within the enterprise so that you can make the investments elsewhere. So let's talk a little bit about the technologies that are being used to drive enterprise-wide efficiency and effectiveness. Miles, I'm going to come to you. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. And I think Tony's hit on some of the points already. You know, cloud and unlocking the historic data challenge is huge. And I think once you get that problem solved, the ability to use, you know, performance management software to really drive this business insight and help drive more real-time decision support is a key area of focus. Obviously, Automation continues to be a big theme, you know, using machine learning, AI to eliminate you know, what one of my colleagues calls the drudge work and actually allow people to get out of the basic blocking and tackling and the, the, the historic, you know, finance transaction areas into really delivering the business insight and, and helping make it actionable and spending time with your internal stakeholders. Uh, yeah, I think those are key. 
And then the other point I would just make is, you know, historically, I think we've tended to focus on the enterprise efficiency level. I think the introduction of a blockchain allows us to also talk beyond the enterprise to, to networks of enterprises and again, unlock some of the potential from how we connect more real time to networks of, of customers and vendors. And again, further drive efficiency in, in how transactions are, are processed and recorded and spend time more on the commercial side. So those are just a few areas, but I'm, I'm sure Tony has some other thoughts as well. Yeah, I think Miles gave a good list of some of the technologies I think that are very important now. And certainly the cloud as a platform and the infrastructure it brings, I think, are critical because it allows people to deploy some of these things quickly. But I also think, you know, he mentioned AI, right? So, I mean, we've built a tool called Lighthouse uh, on the Power BI platform using uh, some EY um, specific algorithms. And what this does is improve forecast accuracy, right? So it uses a combination of machine learning, neural network-based artificial intelligence, and ultimately helps our clients do a better job of forecasting. And we've actually found this tool, um, when we take it to clients, we, we usually run historical data through it and show them the difference in what it could have produced with respect to accuracy. And so then it becomes a discussion of, you know, if you can be 5, 10, 15% more accurate uh, with your forecasting, how much is that worth to you, right? And you can start to have a discussion then around how we're going to leverage that kind of increased accuracy in the way we run our business. And certainly there are cases where that's uh, critically important and you can make better decisions and act on that data in a different way than you otherwise would. Other cases, maybe not so much the case, but we've sort of moved beyond the place where we were worried about getting the right data. Now we have tons of data and we have all these amazing tools that we can apply. And so now it's become a discussion about, you know, how are we going to get the most value out of that? And, and I would say out of all of these technologies, any of them that support the role of the CFO in unlocking the value of information, I mean, that's really at the core of where finance adds value, right? So certainly costs are important. You know, resiliency and adaptability are important. But at the end of the day, finance really brings value by unlocking insights into the information. They're uniquely positioned to do that. And, and so I think the smart CFOs and the smart companies have figured that out and they're putting a lot of focus on that right now. So we spoke a little bit about forecasting and sort of wanting to get better at it or the need to get better at it. But how do you get better at forecasting when things are so unpredictable, particularly I'm thinking right now, Tony? Yeah, so it's actually the unpredictable nature of things that has made people realize that they need to get better at forecasting, right? So, I mean, I think a lot of people thought they had a great FP&A process until the pandemic arrived and completely threw that idea out the window when they realized how incapable they really were. And I think that ability to understand the lack of capability also helps you understand where I need to do a better job, right? So ultimately, the pandemic has forced some truth on people uh, where they have weaknesses. And so these could be around the way they manage their data and the data quality. It could be the availability and the access to the data, right? So they might not have all the data they need. It could be around what they do with that data once they have it and the tools that they're using to manipulate and analyze the data. So whatever the reasons are, I think the uncertainty exposed all the fault lines and all the problems and has now created a scenario where we can start to fix those things. For example, some of the tools that we're using, I mentioned our Lighthouse tool and the Power BI that we built it on. You know, These are just uh, part of the toolkit that allow you then to address these fundamental problems that you've now identified because of the fact that it's become incredibly complex and, and you have to deal with it, right? You can't just let it happen. You have to, you have to come through it and fix it. 
And maybe I'll just add on to that, Gemma, because I think Tony's described some of the, you know, the, the process and the technology side of things. I would just use an example. I, I interviewed the, the head of FP&A for one of the, the big box um, home improvement retailers uh, for my podcast. And you know, we talked a lot about the need to change the business drivers. And he talks a lot about the need to interact you know, more closely with the business. And that's been evolving so quickly, right? If you think about the, the trend of the pandemic, you know, understanding what was happening with mobility, you know, people spending more time at home, what were the triggers that then started getting them comfortable to do projects themselves and then ultimately start bringing in contractors to do projects? What did that meant in terms of you know, some of the, the deal size of what they were seeing, how that impacted on their in-store credit cards and the need to have access to funding? The fact that actually, you know, with some of the stimulus packages, people did have money to spend because they weren't spending it on other things like going out and eating and, and more of the socialising stuff. So there, there was more disposable income. So, uh, you know, but that wasn't done by finance in isolation. It was done in collaboration with business partners. Clearly, it also you know, then flows into the conversations with the supply chain, particularly you know, in the pandemic environment where supply chains are being disrupted. How do you manage all that and adapt and keep things connected? So I, I think, again, this point around staying connected with the business and how you collaborate is, is so important. Yeah, I want to build on that a little bit because you spoke about a lot of people wanting to work out how to unlock value and, and utilise these tools for efficiency and for effectiveness. But I guess the, the question that's still on everyone's lips, especially when it comes to AI, is how do you balance, I guess, core human resources with the use of smart machines? And how do you ensure that you're using both effectively so that you sort of maximise the employee experience? You're not kind of, uh, you know, just laying everybody off or, or not utilising people's skills the best way possible, but at the same time having that or organizational effectiveness alongside the AI. Yeah, I mean, in our last DNA study, there was lots of talk about skills and upskilling the workforce. And so I think we didn't see that as much this time. Um, so I think people have invested a lot into training. They've started to identify sort of the digital skill set. Not that we've solved that problem um, by any sense of the word, but I think we understand it. What we did see in this study, which was quite fascinating, though, is a, a large number of CFOs now talked about mindset and culture as being barriers, right? So it's not so much about having the right skills, but it's more about the way people are thinking about these things. And certainly there's a lot of fear that it would be not a good thing to not acknowledge that sort of upfront. And so I think the smart CFOs realize this, they're hitting it head on. Um, you know, at EY, we, we've done tremendous work in automating our back office and we've eliminated a lot of lower manual type work. But at the same time, we now have a an automation uh, center that we have operating in multiple countries that's actually overseeing the governance and the development of how we apply bots and AI, right? So, you know, we have one set of sort of work that's going away, but it's being replaced by another set of work, which is actually ultimately more highly value added. So I think it's important that we talk about those things in an honest way with our organizations. We do things to make sure we take care of the people because they're still very much at the center of this. And I think the fact that CFOs are talking about culture and mindset and at least acknowledging that that's a, a challenge right now. I think that's actually quite important and, and ultimately a good thing mm. is once we acknowledge it, then we can deal with it. Mm. I'd agree with that, Tony. I think it's a really important point. And I, I see actually the, the fact that CFOs are acknowledging the importance of culture and purpose as a really significant step change. And almost three quarters of the people we surveyed said they saw changing culture of finance as a major priority. And also they recognise the need to be connecting the finance culture with the broader purpose and culture of the organisation. And that, that I think is, is really positive. It's showing, again, a little bit more of the balance of the IQ and EQ, which I think 
is going to be, again, a differentiator of of CFOs and finance organisations that perform well in the future. Uh, And I also think it's important because one of the challenges, and again, back to this idea of barriers, I think sometimes the brand of finance within an organisation can be a challenge. And whilst, you know, we've talked a lot about finance and CFOs becoming more strategic, you know, the business partnering, you know, this aspirational where they want to be playing, I think there is still a legacy perception that, you know, this was identified in the research that you know, when asked about how finance was perceived within the organization they said well it's still seen as very cost focused and risk averse right and I, I think that can act as a barrier to some of the collaboration we were talking about and so again you know as, as CFOs focus on purpose and, cult- purpose and culture I think hopefully the brand will start to evolve and, and, and support this uh, collaboration we've been talking about we, we need better PR people in finance <laughs> <laughs> get, the, get the, the how cool or how interesting or how useful yeah, or how crucial yeah. the role really can be so this idea of the kind of historical perception of finance as being sort of entirely focused only on cost saving and being really risk averse versus this sort of strategic function that also cares about culture and mindset and everything we've been talking about. What is it that people in finance can do to try and change that perception? You said PR, we need PR for finance, but but really what does that look like? Yeah, of course, we're kidding around PR, <laughs> although it would, be, it would be good if it were that easy. I think, uh, uh, and I think the reality is most finance executives will understand this, right? Is you, you know, you have to earn your way into the C-suite. You have to earn your way into the, the strategic sort of leadership of the business. And I think if you go back to some of our findings, right, and the disconnect between finance and marketing and the customer side of the business, for example, and even the HR side of the business, which is a critical part of pretty much every business, I think the answer lies right there, right? To the extent that the CFO can truly become more collaborative across all of the C-suite, not just IT and operations and sort of the traditional places where I think finance has always sort of played a role. But if you can bring value to the marketing organization, to the HR organization, right? Some of these non-financial metrics that Miles talked about, right? When he was talking about the long-term value and how we measure it. I think then people will start to look at finance and accounting differently. They'll start to... uh, Look at finance and accounting as someone who has a strategic view of the business, who is thinking about the customer, thinking about the the employee and the other stakeholders. And then I think we'll start to see the perceptions of finance change. And certainly uh, in a crisis, this is when you find out what you're really made of. And so I think as we've moved through the last six months, it's been a great opportunity for CFOs to connect into the organization, for finance to connect into the organization in a way that maybe it didn't before. And if you haven't done that yet, it's still not too late. There's still plenty of crisis left to deal with and plenty of opportunity to add value in new and unique ways. It's going to be in the actual actions and how we how we approach that collaboration across the uh, the C-suite. Yeah, I think, again, this, this EQIQ thing is, is so important. Historically, finance people have tended to be associated with left brain, very analytical thinking. We, we've used spreadsheets and lots of numbers. And I think the technology is allowing us to do is bring more of that right brain sensibility, more of the storytelling, the visualization, which will hopefully allow better collaboration and communication with functions like marketing and NHR that perhaps don't you know have the comfort with the traditional analysis that's been produced. So you know, I think the, the technology plays a role and just this mindset of, of engagement and collaboration is, is, is going to be so important. I've got one final question for you and, I, and hopefully it's a nice one to sort of end on is what's the long-term vision 
of the CFO role and the finance function as a whole. We've talked about culture change and whatnot, but I'd love for you to paint a bit of a picture of what this vision might be and what finance leaders can do today that ultimately gets them towards that vision. I'm going to start with you, Tony. I think two things come to mind, right? And so the first one is our CFOs in our study talked about a lot of challenges, but at the end of it, something like 78% of them agreed with the statement that there's no more exciting time to be a CFO, right? So I mean, someday... All of us, whatever role we play in this digital revolution, right, we're going to look back on it and we're going to realize that we've actually, despite all the challenges, we've actually lived through some amazing times where we've made amazing advances in how we live and how we work. And, and ultimately, I think that's going to be a part of the way we think about finance in the future. So, so we see a lot of optimism in that regard. I think the other thing is it's been a long, hard year for all of us, I think. But, you know, that if you go back and study similar scenarios, right, going all the way back to the 1918 pandemic, one of the uplifting things that I, I kind of hold on to is the fact that in almost every case, the aftermath, once the issues are resolved and you move beyond it, you actually see an acceleration of a lot of good things, right, including economic activity and growth. And so, you know, we can all hope for another Roaring Twenties coming, right, which is one of the things that happened after the 1918 pandemic. And I think in that time, we're going to see lots of amazing advances because we're still at the very beginning of the digital age, right? I often liken it to standing with the ENIAC computer, the first digital computer, back in the 19, late 1940s. And you could have never imagined where that was going to go and what it was going to become someday, right? That you might walk around with uh, a device 25 million times as powerful in your pocket, right? So we have all this exciting change happening and CFOs, I think, in the organizations are sort of at the center of a lot of that change. And that makes the role very exciting. And despite the fact that there's lots of challenges, I think ultimately when we talk to CFOs, they're really jazzed up. They're making a difference within their companies and within their communities. And ultimately, um, I see a lot of exciting things in the finance function, and I'm glad that I get to be a part of it. Amazing. That's a very optimistic vision then. Miles, I'm going to come to you. Are you going to share that optimism or are you going to give us something quite different? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, absolutely. I, look, I, I think, as Tony said, the level of satisfaction that CFOs have right now with the role, however challenging it is, really refreshing and, and reassuring, right? And I think this role as the steward of long-term value for organisations is a really exciting one. And balancing the sort of the historic mandate for protecting and optimizing value and adding in the opportunity to help grow and create value, I think is, is hugely exciting for CFOs of today, but also people coming up through the finance organization. So I, I do think that this point around balance of, of EQ and IQ is going to be really important and, and how we build the softer skills, the ability to connect and communicate across organizations is going to be a differentiator. And, you know, there's a great quote I read recently that I think really sums it up for me. You know, if it doesn't involve judgment, you should automate it, outsource it, or forget it. And again, for me, finance organizations really need to focus on, on where the judgment is and how they advance the business and the business support. So you know, I think if we can all focus on those higher value skills, take advantage of, of automation, taking away the drudge, everyone's going to have more rewarding and successful careers. What a wonderful note to end on. Miles, Tony, thank you so much for coming and sharing your insights. So much in here for people listening, both from the sort of broader trend right into the kind of much more practical, immediate changes and ideas ideas that CFOs and related people within organizations can be thinking about today. So thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks, Gemma. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for having us. Great. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
You can find out more about Tony and Miles's work and indeed some of the broader themes we discussed today in the show notes. If you enjoyed the episode, please do take a few moments to rate and review the podcast. It really helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to hit subscribe and tune in next time to continue our conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed. Learn how Microsoft Dynamics 365 Finance is helping organizations monitor the performance of global financial operations in real time, predict future outcomes, and make the data-driven decisions to drive growth. Request a live demo today by following the link in the episode description.